This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Twenty-two-year-old pal Justin Robert Young, joining you from Austin, Texas. It's here. Not just the spooky season. Not just the pumpkin spice lattes. No, no, no. We spice things up on this program the only way we know how, and that is. Opposition research. Oh, yeah. Find out all those spooky, scary skeletons that are hiding in your closet. Throw them to a friendly journalist. Let them explode in the media. And that's exactly what we got this week. Herschel Walker. Hachi Machi. Not only does the Daily Beast, as they've done this entire campaign, get right up in them, but also another horror metaphor. The call is coming from inside the house. His own boy does him in all of the messy drama, including what I suspect will happen as we move forward in this campaign. And then we talk about Dr. Oz. (laughs) Dr. Oz killed puppies. He killed puppies. That, at least according to the Twitter buzz, to John Fetterman's campaign, the truth behind the medical experimentation done with Oz's name on it at Columbia University. Is it indeed as gruesome as some of the political melee weapons would let you believe we explore. And of course, whether or not it's true, doesn't matter if it's true, how Dr. Oz has handled it, will handle it. This one's a little bit different than the Herschel Walker one, which is like, and then we've had so much fun at home. We're going to take a tour around the world. Yes. Tom Merritt, who uh, is is normally our British correspondent, we we brought him on because Liz Truss is is immolating seconds into becoming the prime minister. I don't know why you replace a prime minister with another prime minister who's going to be less popular than the prime minister you just replaced. And yet, there's Liz. Hasn't been a good. Four weeks for Liz's. I'm just saying in England, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't been uh, all sunshine and roses. I mean, I guess there was a lot of sunshine and there were certainly a lot of roses for the Queen's funeral. Anyway, moving on. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what is happening in Europe. We are going to talk about Maloney. We're going to talk about a, a bunch of stuff. Brazil. Tom wants to talk international. We're going to be here for it. All that. Bird first. 
Daily Beast, which has been at the forefront for Herschel Walker opposition research up to and including, well, I mean, this was out there in the public before the circumstances around his divorce, the fact that the cops were called, that he threatened his ex-wife with a gun. But what was not publicly known before the Daily Beast reported it was that Herschel Walker has other kids outside of that marriage. So the Daily Beast and the same reporter who's reported all these stories drops this yesterday. A woman who has not to be identified out of privacy concerns told the Daily Beast that after she and Walker conceived a child while they were dating in 2009, he urged her to get an abortion. The woman says that she had the procedure and that Walker reimbursed her to get it. She supported these claims with a $575 receipt from the abortion clinic, a get well card from Walker, and a bank deposit receipt that included an image of a signed $700 personal check from Walker. The woman said that there was a $125 difference because she quote unquote ballparked the cost of an abortion after Googling the procedure and added on expenses such as travel and recovery costs. Additionally, the Daily Beast independently corroborated details of the woman's claim with a close friend she told at the time and who, according to the woman and the friend, took care of her in the days after the procedure. The woman said Walker, who was not married at the time, told her that it would be more convenient to terminate the pregnancy, saying it was not the right time for him to have a child. It was a feeling that she shared. But what she didn't know was that Walker had an out-of-wedlock child with another woman earlier that same year. So, that drops yesterday. Herschel is scheduled on Hannity that night, and Hannity... Leads with the Daily Beast. Anyway, here with reaction, Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker. Let's start with the Daily Beast, Herschel. I mean, serious accusations that in 2009 that you paid for an abortion. First question, do you know the woman that is making this allegation? I have no, no idea, but it is a flat-out lie. And, uh, and now you know how important this seat is. This seat is very important that they'll do anything to win this seat, lie, because they want to make it by everything else except what the true problems that we have in this country is. This inflation, the border wide open, crime. They don't want to talk about that. So they're making up lies now because they need this Georgia seat. So I'm going to encourage anyone out there, let's not let them take this seat. Let, if you can go to teamherschel.com, let's not let them take this seat because if they take this seat, we won't recognize this country tomorrow. Because right now, for them to come out with total lies, I think well, that's not right. Let me ask you this. So they're claiming that on September 12th of 2009 that the woman has a receipt for an abortion. They're claiming that five days later on September 17th, you sent a $700 check and that you sent it in a get well card. The get well card, it looks like it's included with your signature on in the article. Have you seen it? And is that your signature? Uh, I haven't seen it, uh, but, you know, I can tell you, uh, I sent out so many get well, uh, send out so much of anything. But I can tell you right now, I never asked anyone to get an abortion. I never paid for an abortion. And it's a lie. And I'm going to continue to fight. You know, I tell you, that's what they want. They want this seat. But right now, they've energized me even more. 
and they're not going to take the seat. So they better work it even harder because they've jeopardized my kids. They've jeopardized my family. They think they can threaten me. They think they can scare me. Right now, all that done is it's energized me more that I'm going to fight and win this seat for the great people of Georgia because to have someone in the seat that lies to the people shouldn't be in the seat as a senator. What about the $700 check? Is there anybody you can remember sending that much money to? Well, I, I send money to a lot of people, and that's what's so funny. And, and let's go back to my part. You know, I, I do scholarship for kids. I give money to people all the time because I'm always helping people because I believe in being generous. God has blessed me, and I want to bless others. And I got into this race because I'm a Christian. I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I always tell everyone that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So whoever uh, been out there want to lie on Herschel Walker, you're lying on the wrong one. It's best that you to go somewhere else because I'm going to win this seat for the great people of Georgia because Georgia deserves to have a senator that trusts in the Georgia people and not no one that trusts in Joe Biden like Senator Warnock does. Now, I want everybody to listen closely to what I have to say here because we are officially in the range of game time. Okay, I know a lot of you guys are listening to this show these days and maybe your blood pressure goes a little faster because you guys are invested in these races. You want your candidates to win and you want me to be open and honest about you. But every once in a while, if I don't say the thing that you might want to hear, then sometimes people get a little mad. I always know that it's this time of year when people start attacking me on Twitter. I don't have a very combative Twitter. I don't usually go out a bunch of people. I usually post funny things or pieces of news and stuff like that. But, you know, I've started to see it. A few of the, why do you hate tweets? Okay. I'm just here for you. I'm trying to guide you. But I want you to be calm and buckle up when I say this. What was in that Daily Beast story is survivable for Herschel Walker. Three more Daily Beast stories that say similar things are survivable. We are close enough to the end, and Herschel Walker is a folksy Southern politician. All of the different versions of politicians have different D&D character attributes. And being immune to hypocrisy is one of the strengths of a folksy Southern politician. You you show them a a, a 4K image of them doing exactly what they have told everybody else not to and passed a law. And the folksy Southern politician can say, well, that's what you get when uh, an old grizzly bear fell down a tree uh, that's the, not me. <laughs> this is in all seriousness, folks. Boy, they are trying to get us. You know that we're on to something when they're getting as silly as this. Like that. This is the kind of stuff that is naturally in the wheelhouse of the politician that Herschel Walker is finding himself to be. Remember, he is a novice here, but he is good at that. But to do that, You need to close ranks. You need to make sure that even if you are obviously trying to tweet through something that you were obviously caught on, that the man you are now is different. Your base doesn't need to know that you were perfect in the past. They need to know that you are good now. 
And the problem is that Herschel's family is not good now. Minutes after his Hannity comments, the following hits Twitter from Herschel's son, Christian Walker, who is a conservative TikTok influencer. He spends most of uh, the last 72 hours to a week tweeting about George DeSantis and Georgia Maloney. But this is what he says right after Hannity. I know my mom and I would really appreciate if my father, Herschel Walker, stopped lying and making a mockery of us. You're not a family man when you left us to bang a bunch of women, threatened to kill us, and had us move over six times in six months running from your violence. I don't care about somebody who had a bad past and takes accountability, but how dare you lie and act as though you're some moral Christian upright man. You live the life of destroying other people's lives. How dare you? Every family member of Herschel Walker asked him not to run for office because we all knew some of his past. Every single one. We deci- he decided to give us the middle finger and air out all of his dirty laundry in public while simultaneously lying about it. I'm done. Initially, when I saw this, I'm like, well, that can't be Christian Walker. I'll bet you he's one of those viral fake tweets or whatever. No, 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 it's it's him. At which point I was like, well, geez, I mean, if I'm Herschel Walker's campaign manager, I'm I'm on the phone with Christian and I'm like, look, we, we just need to figure out a way that this ends now. Either you go away for a little while, you know, uh, I don't know how much pain you want to exact from your father, but there's got to be a way that allows you to do that while we still try to take the Senate. And if you could possibly say you were hacked... That would be nice as well. No. Okay. In the morning, he posts more. And this time, it's video. I stayed silent as the atrocities committed against my mom were downplayed. I stayed silent when it came out that my father, Herschel Walker, had all these random kids across the country, none of whom he raised. And you know my favorite issue to talk about is father absence. Surprise, because it affected me. That's why I talk about it all the time, because it affected me. Family values, people. He has four kids, four different women, wasn't in the house raising one of them. He was out having sex with other women. Do you care about family values? I have a silent lie after lie after lie. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the card. They say they have receipts, whatever. He gets on Twitter. He lies about it. Okay, I'm done. Done. Everything has been a lie. And so for the right to say I'm being suspicious for saying, hey, I'm, I'm done with the lies. When you all have been calling me saying, is this true about your dad? Gosh, we're not going to win Georgia, this candidate all. That's been you. You have no idea what I've been through in my life. You have no idea what me and my mom have survived. We could have ended this on day one. We haven't. I haven't told any stories. I'm just saying, don't lie. Don't lie on my mom. Don't lie on me. Don't lie on the lives you've destroyed and act like you're some moral family man. Y'all should care about that, conservatives. And then for people on the left to act as though I'm responsible for all of the things that he has done. I've talked about Father Epps. I've talked all these issues because they've been close to me. 
because they matter to me because I went through it. That's why I've talked about it. So when you say, well, talk about your dad, but I am, I'm saying this behavior is atrocious. Don't come for me. You don't have to like my followers. You don't have to like me. You don't have to, I'm just saying I'm done with the lies. We were told at the beginning of this, he was going to get ahead of his past, hold himself accountable, all of these different things. And that would have been fine. Go ahead. He didn't do any of that. Everything's been a lie. Everything's been downplayed. Everything's been cutting corners. The whole thing. And who, who is, whose expense is that at? Me, my mom, as we're chased down by the media, uh, we're, we're terrorized, all these different things. Uh, uh, people are questioning my authenticity. I'm done. Don't lie. Don't put this on me. You, this is a candidate issue, not a me issue. I wouldn't have spoken out if there weren't all these lies every day. And just two more things I have to address and then I'm done with this buffoonery nut job land. This is atrocious. People on the right are pulling up that I did a campaign event with my dad last year. They're saying, well, you supported him all last year and all this year. You look suspicious. No, no, no. You all have been calling me saying, why aren't you on the campaign trail with your dad? Why aren't you helping him out? This looks weird. You should go help him. And I've said to you calmly, I'm not getting involved. You don't know my family life. I did one event last year when we were told he was going to get ahead of his past and hold himself accountable. None of that happened. Everything's been a lie. So for me to tell you I'm not getting involved and then you also be flooding my DMs and calling me saying, I didn't know all this about your dad. We're going to lose the centuries. And then when I simply say, I'm done with the lies, you go, well, Christian looks suspicious. Excuse me? I haven't told one story about what I experienced with him. I'm just simply saying, don't lie. And then for, for certain political pundits to be pulling up old pictures I posted of my dad, thinking they can police and, and determine what my relationship with my dad was. If you want to pull stuff up, I'll pull stuff up. Don't try me. Don't test my authenticity. All of this has been a lie and you've known it. You've known. So don't you dare. And then to the left, who says, well, he did all this to your mom and you were still with him. And, you know, that's weird. You know nothing about my life. My parents went through a dirty divorce. I went through a lot as a child. And, and you don't know anything. You don't know the ebbs and flows of our relationship. Nobody knows anything. So for everyone making these wild theories and whatever, that, that, that's crazy. This is about a bunch of lies. Again, I could, if I had an issue with whatever, I could have ended this day. Well, that's not my intention. My intention is don't lie about your life at the expense of me, my mom, and all of the people that you've affected throughout your life. You don't get to pretend you're some moral family guy. You don't get to pretend all these things. Talk policy, talk normal. Do not lie. The National Republican Senate Committee says that there is no plan to move on from Herschel on the ballot. And here's the reality. It's too late and too dumb to replace Walker on the ticket right now. I mean, if essentially you'd be trying to push toward a write-in candidate and, and you would have to have the perfect person to do that. And that person doesn't exist. So depending on where you squint polling wise, this is either a dead even race in Georgia or Walker is barely tra uh, trailing. Early voting in Georgia begins in two weeks. Now, Walker has immediately said that he plans to sue the Daily Beast, but that's dumb because the stuff in there is almost assuredly true. However, if Walker wants to win this race, there is only one likely path. 
his opponent, Raphael Warnock, needs to get bloodied up a bit too. Let's not forget that Warnock was in court this year in a messy child support situation with his ex-wife. Quote, a March 2020 incident between Warnock and his ex-wife while divorce filing was pending became the subject of scrutiny during his last election campaign. This is from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Nadone told, that's his ex-wife, told Atlanta police officers that Warnock ran over her foot with his car during a heated argument outside her townhouse. She described him as a great actor after he denied her claims. Warnock wasn't charged with a crime and medical officials didn't find visible signs of injury to the foot. Warnock told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in March 2020 that the allegations, quote unquote, didn't happen. The most recent filing involves a, co- a child custody agreement finalized in April as he was waging a campaign for the Senate. Although the details are private, often these agreements stipulate that one spouse cannot move children throughout or sorry, out of the state. Whether or not that is the thing that Walker brings up, he's got to bring up the fact that Warnock has a, a failed marriage and a messy situation with split custody. He's got to find any and everybody uh, of character witnesses that want to point out any negative element of Raphael Warnock's life. He's got to find ex-lovers. He's got to find ex-business partners. He's got to find people in the clergy that have something to say about it. And all of those ghosts need to escape into the public eye immediately. If the Walker campaign doesn't go negative now, it's malpractice. And here's why. Raphael Warnock has run a good campaign as a smiling bipartisan who is standing strategically five feet away from Stacey Abrams at all times. That is the perfect position to be in while your opponent's family destroys him from within. Walker can't. Let him be in that position while all this is going down. If Warnock, if all Warnock has to do is say, well, I, you know, God bless Herschel and his family situation. I'm focused on what I've always done for Georgia. No, everybody's got to get dirty now. If, if, if Walker is in the mud and trust me, Walker is in the mud, then he's got to sling it as hard and as far as he can in Warnock's direction. Think about it like this. When Trump, who again, a lot of these candidates, and Herschel Walker is no exception, were handpicked by Trump. These are Trump guys. When Trump had the Access Hollywood tape leak, he had a debate days later. What did he do? He brought every Clinton accuser had a press conference right before the debate and sat them in the gallery. Why? Because he wanted to say, if I'm going to be swimming around in mud, so are you. We are going to throw this out there. So at the end of the day, any of my core voters, the Trump Walker core voters who were turned off by knowing that information, who don't have their partisanship set so high that they don't care what happens? They just want to vote for their team. You can at least give them the card of, yeah, well, everyone's dirty. By the way, have I mentioned that next Friday night, 
not this Friday, next Friday, 14th. These two are going to debate each other in Savannah, Georgia. Have I also mentioned that your boy is going to be there? Yes, friends, you heard that right. You, the listeners of this show, are sending me, Justin Robert Young, to Savannah, Georgia. Not this weekend, but next week in the 14th. I have been in contact with the debate for a media uh, accreditation. We're in the process. There's a little bit of a uh, a futz up on, on, on where the request should go. But... Push comes to shove. I'm going to be there. I'll be in Savannah. I will be around the debate at the very least. I will watch it at the most Savannah bar that will possibly show it. Uh, uh, We will have great coverage for you about this now crucial debate. Because if Walker is going to do what I believe he needs to do, and that is fling as much mud as possible at Warnock, the biggest, loudest place to do it will be on that debate stage. How will Warnock handle it? Will he go toe-to-toe with Walker and maybe get a little nasty, testy, bring up the fact that, well, hey, I'm not going to say anything more mean than your kid said about you. Ooh, but with that play into Walker's hands, a lot of strategy that goes into this, and we will break every second of it down on the show. And that is because you send me there. That is because you guys support this show. That is because you guys go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. It's why you sign up for the $3 level. It's why you get two bonus episodes each and every week. We are six weeks to election day. That means for only $18, $18, you can make sure that you don't miss a second of the final rundown to the midterms. A lot of sliding, sliding up, sliding down. You can see how these races get turned over in only a second for 18 bucks. That's it. That's it. And you're not just spending $18 by throwing it in the ocean. No. You are supporting something that I think for a lot of you guys, this matters. Independent journalism that does not have any beholden interest to an assignment editor or anybody else. I listen to you, and thankfully, you guys trust me to tell you what I see. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Oh, yeah. By the way, we have the other opposition scandal. This via Jezebel, which is what wound up breaking the story wide yesterday. Because this is opposition research, because this is going to be written in the most graphically awful way possible, I'm going to now tell all of the specifically dog and animal lovers If you don't want to hear laboratory testing stories that may or may not be done in the best faith, then please go ahead and skip two and a half minutes from right now. 
Dr. Oz, the New Jersey resident who is currently running for the U.S. Senate from Pennsylvania, was a principal investigator, quote unquote, at the Columbia University of Comparative Medicine Labs for years and assumed, quote, full scientific, administrative and fiscal responsibility for the conduct, end quote, of his studies. Over the course of 75 studies published in academic journals reviewed by Jezebel, Oz's team conducted experiments on at least 1,027 live animals, subjects that included dogs, pigs, calves, rabbits, and small rodents. 34 of these experiments resulted in the deaths of at least 329 dogs, while two of his experiments killed 31 pigs and 38 experiments killed 661 rabbits and rodents. In the early 2000s, testimony from a whistleblower and veterinarian named Catherine Del Orto about Oz's research detailed extensive suffering inflicted on his team's canine test subjects, including multiple violation of the Animal Welfare Act, which sets minimum standards for care of dogs, cats, primates, rabbits, and other animals in the possession of animal dealers and laboratories. The law specifically requires researchers and breeders to use pain-relieving drugs or euthanasia on animals and not use paralytics without anesthesia or experiment multiple times on the same animal. Delorto testified that a dog experimented on by Oz's team experienced lethargy, vomiting, paralysis, and kidney failure, but wasn't euthanized for a full two days. She alleged that other truly horrifying examples of gratuitous cruel punishment to dogs, including at least one dog who was kept alive for a month for continued experimentation despite her unstable, painful condition, and despite how data from her continued experimentation was deemed unusable. According to Del Orto, one Oz-led study resulted in a litter of puppies being killed by inter intracardiac injection with syringes of expired drugs inserted in their hearts without any sedation. Upon being killed, the puppies were allegedly left in a garbage bag with living puppies who were their litter mates. So first things first, number one, Jezebel is not... Anything other than Jezebel, right? You know, even though the the Gawker media empire has grown and deflated and splintered and risen and all of the DNA has been refreshed at all these sites, Jezebel is a blog with a point of view. It is a very anti-Dr. Oz point of view before he became somebody that was running on the opposite political side of uh, that point of view. To give you a sense of the political motivations of Jezebel, this blog post leads with a reference to Mitt Romney putting his dog on the top of a car uh, in the 2012 race. So gives you a sense of how this is written and what they are choosing to highlight, how they are choosing to highlight it and yada, 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 yada. So. This story is, again, a straight opposition research dump. It's reheated issues that have been around for a little while sharpened to poke the candidate in the eye as close as possible to the election day. A reminder, the people in uh, Pennsylvania are already voting early. So, what is the deal here? The site Billy Penn, which is by and large a Philadelphia blog, wrote up their recap of these charges in early September. 
And I thought that it was pretty uh, well run down, in my opinion. Essentially, it breaks down like this. Oz is the principal investigator at Columbia University, the, the place that they said, doing research on a variety of animals to determine heart health. This, of course, is Dr. Oz's specialty as a heart surgeon. It's the reason why he became famous. A whistleblower, Del Orto, believes that the experiments, which by their nature are endangering the lives of animals, that's, that's why the animals are there, are even then unnecessary and cruel. And specifically, they were kept alive too long or were not administered the right pain-killing drugs when they needed to be. So, what is unlikely, and everybody agrees this, is that Oz himself would be in a position to be administering anything to any animal. Nobody is really saying that Dr. Oz did this by himself. So the Oz kills puppies thing is a little bit of a stretch, right? What is likely is that the experiments that he had his name on as the chief investigator were poorly designed or poorly executed by his subordinates. So we have a whistleblower we have a USDA report and a fine from that organization to the University of Columbia. But the most explosive charge to Oz comes from another report. And that is one authored by the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, colloquially known as PETA. Here is what that investigator wrote. In the early aughts, Sweetland recaps that the last 29 days in the life of a dog used in one of Oz's experiments based on what she describes as 6,313 records from the dog's file. After weeks of improper eating, urination, bowel movements and wound care, the last day was described thusly, quote, day 29 does not want to come out of cage. Right hind leg swollen, catheter out, chewed through, parentheticals, tube. And I'm going to make a specific mention of these parentheticals because they're going to be important. Not eating, breathing very labored, no stool, tried to feed, will not eat anything, PM, parenthetical, Mehmet Oz, took for last experiment. PETA added those parentheticals. So the closest that we get to Oz interacting with one of these mistreated animals, one at the very, very, very uh, end of its life, is from the PETA investigation. Now, full disclosure, I've got people in my family that have worked for PETA. And I have less than zero inside knowledge on this case specifically. But from what I personally know of that organization is that they are among the best in the nonprofit world, if not the best in the nonprofit world at raising money for their causes. And I would say that PETA measures their own success in that metric and not journalistic integrity. 
These have been around since at least early September and probably even earlier throughout the summer. They haven't been a secret. They've been available on the Internet for years, if not at, at this point, close to 15 years. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not Oz will respond to it now that it's bubbled up and the Fetterman campaign has explicitly taken it and hit Oz with it. If Oz does respond, I would say that he'd probably point to PETA as, uh, you know, everything that PETA is. Uh, I think that would be a fine reason for the majority of at least his base to dismiss it. And I would, if I were Oz, use it to pivot to the fact that, hey, he had a storied career at Columbia. And that is by far the most impressive part of his resume. The fact that he was an actual doctor and wasn't just a dude on TV hawking, you know, cayenne pepper and Vaseline jelly to lose your belly fat by the weekend. All in all, this is a little splashy, but I think it's a two out of 10. And if you look at some of the polling, the real story in Pennsylvania right now is that John Fetterman's vote share continues to decrease. Something to keep an eye on. Our guest today is no stranger to the program. His name is Tom Merritt. He obsessively watches the world, so we don't have to. We're going to talk about the United Kingdom, Liz Truss. We're going to talk about Kenya. We're going to talk about Yair Bolsonaro and Lula. We're going to talk about Russia. We're going to talk about Ukraine. We're going to talk about so much more. But first, we're going to welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Tom. Oh, thank you, Justin Robert Young. It's good to be here. Now, we've just spent uh, uh, <laughs> roughly 40 minutes uh, going through all of the slop here in America as we barrel toward the midterms. But it's not exclusive to the good old US of A, uh, uh, political uh, a strife and upheaval. Where do we want to start throughout the world? I, I know initially I came to you about Liz Trust because I can't understand <laughs> why they just went through a two and a half month a procedure to remove a tested but controversial candidate as or a prime minister so they could put in a less popular version of that. Yeah, I, uh, man, Rishi Sunak is sitting there going, I told you so. I'm just a safe pair of hands right here. But one, OK, that's who you picked. OK, so, so um, what, what is what has happened? Because normally uh, the thing that that made me hit you up was that I saw a poll or a, a line graph of just post-prime minister bumps. And normally there is a post-prime minister bump, even for controversial figures like Boris Johnson. Liz has not experienced that. And, and it seems to be taxes. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll be honest. It's difficult for me to even understand what's going on here. I can't imagine people who are like on the ground covering this, uh, trying to wrap their heads around. But what seems to have happened is uh, Truss has really positioned herself as the second coming of Thatcher, uh, supply side economics, very Reagan-ish uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, and so she 
unveiled. Well, she had her chancellor unveil uh, a new a new plan. And by unveil a new plan, I mean not tell anyone the details of the plan and just come out and announce a tax cut. Uh, and quasi Quartang uh, took the hit. Uh, he's the chancellor of the United Kingdom. Uh, the banking industry said, well, that sounds like a horrible idea. That's just going to fuel inflation. Uh, the pound sterling took a hit, came down to almost parity with the dollar. Uh, and it turns out that there is usually a procedure where you go to an independent uh, part of the government, kind of similar to what the U.S. has with the GAO, uh, yeah. where, you, where, you, where you vet a plan so that you have an independent authority saying, okay, here's what we think will happen with the plan. And you present that at the same time that does a few things one is you can point to the independent analysis to say don't panic here's what's going to happen look it's not us saying it it's them and it lets everyone in the banking industry and the financial industry uh, get a little bit of a heads up of what's coming because you know humans are leaky and so as it goes through that i think a few people tip a few other people off they didn't do any of that uh so the banking industry the financial industry just panicked uh, well, I don't even know if panicked is the right word. They reacted to what Quasi Quartang said uh, in the sh- few sheets of paper that he put out and in his press announcement uh, and said, well, that sounds like a horrible idea. Gotcha. Uh, and now they've essentially rolled it all back up. Like Deion Sanders uh, 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 backpedaling on Jerry Rice in the 90s. They, they are just backing it, backing it, backing it up. Yeah. Uh, Liz Truss has said she's still in favor of lowering taxes, uh, but it's not something she's currently contemplating. Uh, And I will add any more. Any more. So, all right. So uh, it it makes more sense the way that you laid it out, that it is a combination in this cosmic gumbo. We have the, the inherent inability for the British to be happy about being surprised. Uh, the fact that she did not go through proper channels on this and therefore looks unprepared for the office. And then mm-hmm. the idea that, oh, well, this is the the world needs to tamp down inflation right now. The last thing we need is more of a hot economy. Unfortunately, economically, everybody, especially in these in these major economies, need to settle in for a little bit of a winter. You are not tucking us in and giving us a sleepy time tea. You are instead <laughs> banging on pots and pans and handing out Adderall. Yeah, uh, you, you can't be radical and looking competent at the same time in British politics. Yes. And uh, unless you're less trust, apparently. Um, <laughs> the, the, the other part I don't want people to lose sight of is this wasn't a tax cut for the working class uh, on which Boris Johnson built his momentum, you know, winning seats in the North for the conservative mm-hmm. party. It was a tax cut for the, for the rich, uh, you know, uh, again, it, the, in this economy, not yeah. an easy sell, not an easy sell. And Certainly, it seems like there is there's one thing from my elementary understanding of of uh, UK politics that nothing energizes or panics more than the pound. The pound is something that that sets them apart from Europe. That that was the first hard line in the sand that maybe foretold the fact that uh, uh, Britain's inclusion in the European Union was not exactly uh, uh, all on board because they never merged it. They never wanted to. Right. That was that was uh, shot down several times. So anytime that the pound falls within parity to our filthy American dollar, uh, I can understand that's going to get everybody all riled up. <laughs> 
I mean, it really had me about to jump on a plane just just to enjoy the, the fact that, a, 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 you know, something that cost five pounds was five dollars and 50 cents. I, <laughs> I know. Oh, just amazing. All right. So that is that is the Liz Trust panic. The last thing that we know, and this episode is going to come out early. These episodes normally come out on Wednesday. It's going to come out on Tuesday. So later tonight on Tuesday night, October 4th, we are going to have, I guess, Liz Trust try to do some damage control. Right. She's going to try. Yeah, to, try there's to a conservative party. Co- yeah, there's a conservative party conference going on, uh, which should be a big celebration, right? Like they just ind- chose a new prime minister. She's she's fresh into her first week uh, on the job, first weeks on the job. Uh, instead, the Economist described it as gallows humor uh, at the conservative party conference because man, labor is polling really well. Uh, the only good news about the this past week on the election side of things is that they don't have to call an election until January. January 2025. Uh, so they've got some time to maybe try to dig themselves out of this. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is, uh, uh, you know, maybe a, a little bit of a false start. You know, doesn't mean they can't, uh, they, they can't, they can't still move it on. At least that's what the conservatives will be telling yeah, themselves. Yeah, at this they conference. took a, the, you know, uh, this is an American reference, but they, they took a 10 yard penalty, uh, you did. know, but it's still first down. So yeah, it's good. Where else do you want to go? Where where in the world is Tom Merritt? Uh, because you you were you were peppering me on text about all these international <laughs> stories. Burkina Faso, anyone? There's a coup. Uh, you know, we should we should really quickly mention the Brazilian election, which happened yes. over the weekend. Uh, uh, Lula. Uh, is the socialist candidate, and that, mm-hmm. that's not an epithet, uh, that's self, self-description, self uh, previous president, has had a corruption scandal and been in prison for that corruption scandal, but was yep. then cleared of that corruption scandal. So he's now out of prison uh, and running for president against Jair Bolsonaro, uh, the populist right-wing uh, president who is currently serving Bolsonaro, uh, taking from other playbooks uh, and casting doubt of whether he would accept the election results if he loses. But with the Brazilian system, you have a runoff. Neither one of them got 50% on Sunday. Uh, so Lula won, but not by enough to avoid the runoff. So now we go to a, a month from now for another round of elections in Brazil, head to head with no other third party candidates between Lula and Bolsonaro. So, yeah, for those who only follow American politics that I talk about on this show, Brazil has the same rules as Georgia. So if anybody was able to get over 50 percent, then they would have won outright. Nobody was able to get over 50 percent. However, yes. the Georgia of South America, the as Georgia far as running South an election America, goes, which now that I think about it, it, it actually fits a lot more than I might. I mean, if Georgia <laughs> Walker Florida, maps to Bolsonaro, not not. Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody somebody uh, take away of, of, of Bolsonaro's son's Twitter account, then uh, no, I, I would say if Georgia and Florida were the same. Uh, uh, the same place, and then you multiplied it by so many more miles, then then maybe mm-hmm. you would get you would get something close to Brazil. Uh, here's what I don't know: a runoff tends to usually favor one party over another because you have multiple splinter parties that are running either on one side of the aisle or the other. Oftentimes, it is the candidate that is lesser in the pre-runoff election that then benefits from it, that would be Bolsonaro in this case. Do we have any idea whether or not there are clean ideological lines for this runoff? Would 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 Bolsonaro be favored? 
I don't know as far as the, you know, the, the other candidates, uh, what the percentage swings would be exactly. Uh, I know the conventional wisdom is that Lula still is the favorite. The thing yeah. that came out of Sunday's election was that the polls undercounted Bolsonaro's support. Yeah. Uh, so it's that that similar thing that has happened in the United States where for whatever reason, maybe they don't want to talk to pollsters. Uh, maybe they the pollsters just sampled a, an unrepresentative part of the population. But the the conservative side of Brazilian politics didn't show up in the polls as strong. And so people thought Lula had a chance to get 50 percent uh, and he didn't get it. Uh, he got 48.4 percent. Uh, whereas Bolsonaro was expected to do below 40, he got 43.22. So we're talking about 99.8% of the part of, of the vote going to those two. I don't think those third parties really play Matter in the much as much as turnout and, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that is so. So a shy Bolsonaro voters, add that to our lexicon. But yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, mm -hmm. but, if, but if it's 9% of the vote that is, that is out there, I do think that that is, you know, that's, that's enough to, to get somebody over it. If, if it, you know, went in a, in a heavy split between one or the other, but yeah. But then you, you also have Bolsonaro out there casting doubt on the election and, and whether uh, he's going to accept the results. And so there's worries about, uh, him, you know, does he have enough connections with the military uh, to pull something off? Uh, would they see something similar to January 6th uh, happen in Brazil? Uh, this, so that's something to keep an eye on. What I wish all of us had was an election like Kenya had a couple sure. weeks ago. I, I, will, I will put it before we quickly move over Brazil and I very inelegantly step on your immaculate transition. Uh, uh, the debates for the the Lula Bolsonaro race that just uh, is is entering its its final things did have a fist fight backstage or or in the in, in the audience afterward so at the very least the only thing that happened in our debates was Trump might have given everybody covid okay uh, uh so now let's let's move on over to Kenya so uh in Kenya they if you read about it up until uh, the the actual inauguration, you're gonna think, oh, this is this this is a bad situation. This this is not going to uh, end up uh, as as something uh, good. But it, it does. It has a happy ending. So they have a disputed election. They had a lot of rhetoric about, well, I don't know if these these results are going to be right if I don't win. Uh, you had the former deputy of the sitting president running against him. Uh, so there's bad blood there, you, okay. you traitors or sort of stuff. Uh, and uh, so Ryla Odinga is the, the sitting president. His former deputy, William Ruto, is running against him. Uh, you have the election agency on the day of the election uh, mass resigning, uh, saying we don't we don't think we can certify these results. Uh, and it, nobody knows whether it's because of of Odinga or whether they just really saw conspiracies. You have the independent observers from the UN saying, we're not seeing what they're seeing. Uh, these, these results seem okay, but it goes to the Supreme court. Uh, it, it goes to the courts. And so everybody thinks, well, no matter what happens, this is going to be a mess. The courts rule that Ruto won with 50.5% of the vote uh, and Odinga conceded. 
he still alleges that it was rigged, but the Supreme Court ruled the election was free and fair. And so instead of something worse, you get something similar to, to Bush Gore, uh, yeah. where yeah. he's like, well, I don't think I won. Uh, I, I don't think he won, he won, but I'll respect the results of the Supreme Court. And uh, now uh, William Ruto is the president of Kenya. You know, just a sore loser. Like, what is it that hard? To just be a sore loser? I think sore losers, underrated. I'm officially putting it out there. Sore losers are underrated. I wrote a thing for for Substack a while ago, a couple weeks ago, and and I made the argument that in any election, uh, saying that you lost in a, a election that wasn't fair is rocket fuel. It's it's good for you, but you have to say you lost. You have to say that based on the rules that we had, I lost. This is why I'm committing myself to election transparency and these things. And we're not going to let them get away with it again. But when I run again, everybody needs to vote as much as they can, because that's that's the big the reason. Yeah. I, now, I, I I don't want it to sound like Ruto is 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 the Al Gore uh, uh, or I'm sorry, no, Odinga is the Al Gore because Odinga is still saying it wasn't free and fair. He's he's still got a little sour grapes, but he's not trying to, you know, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, 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 what part of that is not how Al Gore handled 2000? <laughs> Well, Gore immediately said, "Like, well, I will." Re- yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's really not that bad. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I think it's really not that different. All right, no, yeah. The only difference, the the only difference, is that uh, Ruto was handed a sword when he was sworn in. He didn't just mm. put his hand on the Bible. <laughs> so you know, they got a little extra flair there. I don't know if American politics could handle swords. If we just randomly <laughs> added swords to our current system, I think that it might be, Why it might not? be a problem. It's pretty bad. I, I would, you know me. I would love to do it. I would. I would. I would. But yeah. I think, like, even well, for me. Okay. What's something more American than that? You know, we just hand them a Colt or something. Yeah, you know, something like that. Yeah. It would have to be a gun. Yeah, we're the gun country, so it would have to be something mm-hmm. like that. And then maybe like yeah, no, a, a, were, a respectable are, hunting rifle. If you were anti-gun, then you would like be kind of gross with it. You'd be like ew, and you like make a stinky face like to the camera, and and that would be good for mm-hmm. you. But at some point, <laughs> guns are central enough that you would either be very excited or very disgusted by it. Right. Well, I'm just saying we could we could all learn something from Kenya. You want to talk Maloney? Ah, Georgia Maloney. So the only thing I have to say about Georgia Maloney is that when I heard you not only on PX3, but but uh, on We're Not Wrong talking about everywhere I look, all I see is fascist. And it's like it's her last name. I knew what you were talking about. It's not it's not that I was confused or anything like that's what CNN, MSNBC and, and everybody was saying. I was only reading the BBC and The Economist, and I was like, that's not what they're saying, uh, which is why I, I tend to lean on them uh, to to feed my brain, because I was getting from them like Maloney is part of a party that was sort of the heir of Mussolini, but it's tacked toward the center since then. Uh, and the worry isn't so much about her, but the people, the parties that she's going to have to go into coalition with. Uh, at the same time, she's been very pro-Ukraine. Uh, she has had some things that have been anti-Europe in the past, but she seems to have moderated those. So I was looking at it as like, oh, okay, so she's, she's center right, uh, maybe yeah. more right than center, you know, we'll, we'll capitalize that R, but, but, you know, she's, she's certainly more conservative than Mario Draghi, 
who she's taken over for. But, you know, this is not the second coming of Mussolini. Uh, it's just that that is the air, you know, that is the roots of this party. And maybe that's a little concerning. Maybe there's a few people in that party that that are a little more sympathetic, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, whereas, yeah, the 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 sort of like I can't find anything else about her that other than she's a fascist uh, seems like a real fail, failure of journalism in those outlets that did that. I the fact that I read more about the logo of her party and the fact that the logo of her party bore a resemblance to Mussolini's party than mm-hmm. I did reading about the fact that she made a video, as, as Chico told us, that she made a video where she said in multiple languages that she wasn't a fascist, I think is and and. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's what a fascist us- would say. If she did, yeah. wasn't a fascist, she wouldn't have to deny it. Yeah. I don't well, know. let's. Oh, this gives us gives me an opportunity, a natural seg to one of our favorite conversations, a journalist talking about journalism. Ah, uh, uh, thank goodness we get to the real story. The real story. Why do we think this happens? Because this is something that I have noticed in the past. I first came to notice this way back in the day in the earlier blog era where if you were a small blog, you would hope that you got picked up by a mid-level blog, and then that would get swallowed up by a, by a larger blog, and then maybe two or three days later, the newspapers would cover it because it was around enough, and, and in the nascent social media, mm-hmm. it would get traction. Now that happens almost instantly, almost entirely vertically throughout the entire media ecosystem with the, the, the mastheads that at certainly have brand, whether or not you believe that they have respect uh, uh, like the New York times, the Washington post, CNN, MSNBC, NBC news, which really powers MSNBC. It's, it's just, it's, it's all the same thing immediately all at once. And, and that is, especially in, in situations like that, where Georgia Maloney is, the more I read about her, the more I've talked to Chico about her, a fairly interesting figure, a, a, a very, a very fascinating a, a, a figure to watch, whether or not you politically agree with her. That, does that worry you? Yes and no. Uh, yes, it worries me in the sense that that is a bad thing uh, that you we should we should push back against uh, the the fact that that something that is not even just inaccurate. Right. Uh, it's it's tilted and gives the reader an uh, an uh, a misimpression of what's actually happening. Right. Yes. Uh, and the reason it happens is because it grabs views. When you see Ita- Italians elect fascist, uh, certainly everyone on the left is like, aha, my worldview being confirmed. Uh, we're yes. under threat. Let me click. Uh, if you're on the right, you see like, wait a minute, is it really a fascist or who are they calling fascist? Because they call me fascist all the time, too. I'm also going to click. Right. So it, it doesn't fail to bring people in. That's why it spreads. Uh, the reason we have it spreading like that isn't new. I, I, I can already hear the people like, well, it's because of the blogs and the social media and the tech companies. Uh, I, I point you to 1839 Boston. I have been researching Boston in the 1839 for an episode of Know a Little More uh, that I'm doing. And in 1839, there were 43 newspapers, 43 newspapers in Boston. 
That's you think a lot people complain these, these days about, you know, like, oh, there's only one newspaper. Uh, two, two was not enough news. There were 43 newspapers. And because of that, to be able to make sure you kept your audience and compete in a world of 43 newspapers, you had to have everything. So these newspapers, if you look at an 1839 Boston Post, you're going to see, first of all, ads. 75% of the newspaper is ads. Sound familiar? Pop-ups, banner yeah. ads, like the 1839 equivalent of that. Second, the, of the news that's in there, 70% of it is in the main Herald, they said this. In the Springfield Gazette, they said this. In the Providence Journal, they said this. Uh, it's all picking up stuff from other places because they couldn't afford to have reporters everywhere. So in 1839 terms, that's the same as having a thousand blogs suddenly grab everything. The only difference is that it's worldwide now uh, yeah. in, instead of localized. Well, I mean, I, I wonder because ooh, this would be an interesting thing to think about whose country's media has the largest footprint. I would suspect that now it's, probably, it's a world marketplace of news. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would suspect that American companies probably lead the way, if only because we had so. a, a internet access uh, earlier. I would suspect that probably uh, a, a Indian or Chinese language uh, uh, forces would probably be respectable or or up there, mm -hmm. depending on 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 how they uh, you know are, are organized, which I am not up on, but. It, it was fascinating being in Europe to understand that when, when at least for me, when I was over there and I was trying, I was actively trying to find sources, uh, uh, some of which I didn't understand the language to, almost every television broadcast has like the America spot. And it's sort of where mm -hmm. like weather or sports would be in a television news uh, uh, thing here where it's like it's not at the beginning unless it's a massive thing that also affects the, the, the country. But it's always there and it's always either the top political story or in the case when I was over there, Uvalde was happening and some of the, the videos coming out. Mm -hmm. It's something like that, like a big the biggest story in America or the biggest political story in in, in America. And so. To look at that, that there is a little bit of bleed over, but it's never the same. It's never like I do think that there is localization to how we process these things, but the information uh -huh. is is served elsewhere. I wonder if I, I'm curious if you go back into the 80s, is that section the Cold War spot? And is, is this sort of just a inertia from there? Of they were always talking about what's happening between the premier of the Soviet Union and the president of the United States because we can all die in a nuclear war based on yeah. what they're doing. And then when the Soviet Union falls, it becomes, well, the U.S. is the remaining power now out of those two. Let's let's make sure we keep an eye on what they're doing. I, I'm, I wonder if that's the case. I don't know if it's the case. Maybe, maybe. But it is the reason why it's it's always fascinating whenever I would be in Europe and I'd be at a bar and and talking to the bartender or some other patron, they always had the same questions. The initial question that I'll have in America when I tell people that I cover politics for a living, which is, let me ask you some political questions. But sure. in, in Europe, it was always a little bit more like, I don't know if this is real, but can you please <laughs> tell me as somebody who is in America and, and, and pay attention to this, how much of this should I be worried about? How much of this matters? Uh, uh, there, there's there's an, an, an interesting element there, which, of course, makes us wonder, 
well, how are we viewing the stuff that's happening over there? And and at least when it came right. to to Maloney, it's like, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, aside from a few outlets that in in part have a specific focus on Europe on, on Europe, poorly as it turned out, <laughs> pretty poorly. I uh, I'll be honest. Uh, I I get I sort of assume I'm going to soak up what's going in the U.S. partly by listening to you. Uh, and just from talking to, to people and, and listening to uh, American podcasts and being on Twitter and, and, and all of that sort of thing, uh, and, which is why I choose non-U.S. sources to be my main source of what's going on in the world, because yeah. it helps balance that perspective against what is the fiery thing of the day that's meant to try to get everyone to watch because it's going to make you upset one way or the other. Uh, because even if, even if the source that I'm looking at is trying to do that, I won't be <laughs> as fired up about it, uh, likely. And the U S news that does make it to the top there is usually the biggest, biggest news in the U S as well. So it's not like I'll miss anything. Here's my one hope, my hope against my, 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 my bulwark against this and, and kind of clickbait in general. But, uh, what, what I think both you and I would, would describe as sort of calorie free, uh, uh, reporting, which is rife in politics and rife in tech news. Uh, the, the coming kind of economic winter and, and, and the final ramifications of the adpocalypse, which has really shaken up the entire media ecosystem would seemingly lead, at least it has, and places where me and you have, have made our career, into subscriptions, into communities, into something where your long-form reputation matters with your users because there's only so much, uh, uh, you know, a big boogeyman of the moment kind of stuff for which we'll, we'll get the mass people into the door. And if that's the case, then a, you're going to have to differentiate your content because somebody is always going to offer it cheaper unless you put a spin on it. Yep. That's something that both you and I have done in podcasting for many years. And you have to be responsible to your audience. Your audience will get mad at you if you take certain uh, uh, shortcuts here and there. And if that's the case mm. and we are trending more toward that, because I, I don't know if I, I would suspect that you're the same way that I am, but boy, howdy, over the last five years, have I had more people that I've always thought to be in bigger, uh, more stable media jobs come to me and be like, so it's like Patreon subscriptions. How does that work? Which has uh -huh. made me like be like, oh, wow, maybe you guys you're feeling a pressure that I that I am not feeling down here. Uh, I, I wonder if that has an effect. Because I was glad to be that for for our listeners. I was glad. I mean, I if I were the Washington Post, I would have put Chico and his reporting a little bit more front center with with some of the stuff that was happening. I was glad he could talk to our audience at the very least. Uh, uh, so I don't know. I, I hope that's the case. Yeah, I hope it is too. And and I think I I see signs that could just be my own personal bubble of the the folks that I I I talk to online. Uh, but I see signs that there there are more of them. That there that what I see are people who used to not care about the, the stuff that we're talking about here, starting to say, you know, I kind of want that more. Uh, I, I, I need more of that uh, in my life. So, yeah, Chris Cuomo going to News Nation. Uh, that's <laughs> it's our it's the hope of the future. <laughs>
Oh my God. Chris, I mean, like that dude was just looking. I don't know what his I don't know what his mortgage payment looks like, but it's got to be scary because he had a lawsuit He's, that probably could have shook out something from CNN at a certain point. And he had to pitch that lawsuit so he could go take a job at News Nation, which I can't imagine is breaking the bank for for, for, for Cuomo. Maybe they are because he is a name and that that is a flag yeah. post kind of hiring. But yipes. News Nation is interesting. I I I would love them to succeed at what they say they want to do. Yeah. Well, one Cuomo at a time. Uh, Can I make a, a quick prediction on what's going to happen in Russia over the next six months? Please do. <laughs> uh, so prediction is probably too strong a word, but here here are some thoughts I have that I won't be surprised if I see happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you we're headed going to make a poll winter. about it on uh, Twitter because the prime minister gets a little saucy about that? <laughs> Yeah, maybe I should. Uh, you know, if it was, if it hadn't already been done, exactly. Um, or no, the president, right? Zelensky's the president, not the prime minister. President, yes, that's president. right. He's yeah, the president. There we go. All right, uh, go ahead. So, so we're we're headed into winter, and the conventional wisdom from all the the military correspondents that that I trust is that things are going to slow down. You're you're just not going to see advancements made like you like you have over the summer as the winter comes in. Uh, so over the next six months, you're you're going to have a bit of a stalemate. You're not going to see these rapid advances. Uh, and if you do see them, you won't certainly won't see them as often. Uh, you're also going to have Europe going through trying to figure out their energy shortage uh, in, in a cold winter. I think Putin is going to use that uh, to put popular pressure on European leaders to come to the table. That's obvious. I know that's not controversial. I think everybody no. knows that that's the gambit. Uh what he's going to do behind the scenes, and this is not what he's going to say in public, but what he's going to do behind the scenes, I think, is say, look, let's just draw the borders where they are now. Uh, I've, I've annexed stuff, but I, I won't claim anything that I don't have troops in right now. Uh, I keep Crimea. I keep most of the Donbass. Uh, and, and I get a little sliver of territory along the bottom. Let's just let's just call it call it a day. You know, it was all a big mistake for all of us. Uh, let's keep that. <laughs> So and, and we'll probably thing, see the, the, more the thing, little the thing, the thing that we thought he was going to do at the very beginning of all this, which exactly. was just to nibble more. Yeah, Novorossiya. He used that term that I mentioned previously in his speech last week, uh, and so we'll probably see more of those little like poke some holes in the Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, you mentioned there was someone on the Sunday shows that that you highlighted that said he might try to blow up a, an ammo dump in NATO territory or something like that. But my best guess is that's what he's going to push for. Let's let's just let's just all agree that this was a, a big mistake, and, and let's just draw the lines where they are. You know, who wants to fight anymore? Come on. So you- you think and that he's he'll, ready he'll for push a, like I'm I he'll push it as like we have achieved our, our objective and I'm offering peace. And if they don't want it, that's then I'm the one that's offering peace. That that would be the spin. So you believe Putin is looking for an out? I believe that's the only out he could find that allows him to claim victory. Yeah. Uh, I got into a back and forth with somebody. I think that's a good idea, by the way. I think that that of all the of all the predictions, uh, uh, it does seem like the options are narrowing. Uh, the mm-hmm. one big variable that Putin is sort of holding on to that I, I agree is going to be interesting to see play out is exactly how cold this winter is, exactly how many mm-hmm. German knees yeah. knock uh, because they do not have sufficient heat that they have normally had. Uh, uh, how many hardships we see. And then at that point, who do the people blame? Who do the right. people that don't have gas 
blame? Do they blame their own country? Do they blame Russia? Because I do think that, you know, as much as we can roll our eyes at the like Putin's price hike stuff uh, when it comes to American gas, that has been the line from NATO. Everything that is happening is because of Russia. They have primed that pump for six months now. And so if things get bad, is there a, well, no, you're the government, you're making this mistake. And I guess that would back up your your position that Russia has to have a solution mm-hmm. so people get mad at their own government. They have yeah. to say, no, if, Germany should back this peace plan. France should look, back this peace plan. You know, there's there's a lot of Russians in there. Maybe the vote to annex was was, was rigged, but still, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it provides something that makes people say, "Not our problem. Just take the deal," uh, and and leave. And, and Zelensky won't go for it, uh, but they'll they'll have to pressure him to go for it uh, well, if if you're. That's the thing, and I, I always I think I get back and forth with this with Jen on we're not wrong, but it's like. Zelensky can't say, I don't know, maybe this deal. It's like, like it's it, you wouldn't say that if you were buying a car, if you were negotiating to to buy something. It's like you can't totally. do that. And he certainly can't do that as the president right. of the country. He'll be he the might, last person to agree to anything because yes. yeah, it, it, he loses his leverage otherwise. So now, privately, um, he might have somebody saying to some somebody like, well, you know, all right, if it's here and not here, then maybe we can talk, yeah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. But he'll never say that. And he shouldn't say it on Twitter or whatever Vogue photo shoot that he's doing. Tom Merrick, <laughs> Daily Tech News Show is where you can find him. Uh, uh, finally, we we talked uh, half of this interview about journalism, which is always my favorite, uh, uh, equally on par with all of the world news. Uh, is there anything else that you want to get out there? Uh, a word with Tom Merritt. Uh, I have great conversations with folks about how we think about stuff. I'll be getting Justin Robert Young on here one of these days. Mm, Don't worry about that. Uh, but we had Howard Mortman on from Mm -hmm. C-SPAN recently. If you want to hear a little more about how he thinks about transparency, that was the word we, we played off of, uh, there. Uh, we've, we've got some great folks coming on like, Oh, Jen Briney, uh, Mm -hmm. Jen Briney is going to come on and, and talk about disaster, uh, and be it a prepper and love and disaster movies and why we like that. Uh, so go check it out at a wordpodcast.com. Yeah, it's a fun Jen as a prepper is interesting because she never stays in the same place. So at, at the very least, she'd mm. always be able to keep moving either that or somebody who's a fugitive. Uh, Tom, thank you so much. You bet. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. You want to thank Tom Merritt for coming on the show. It is letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. Send your emails to theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Somebody who was very quick on the email today was a very nice person. I didn't even see your name because I've been in a literal blinding rage for the past hour because somebody informed me that Rage Against the Machine has canceled their North American tour. So I'm going to take you guys on a little bit of a journey real quick, okay? All right? It is all the way back in 98, I'm going to say, 90... Nine, maybe. I'm, I'm ballparking it. You look, look it up yourself. 
The Beastie Boys are on tour with Rage Against the Machine, and there are no two bands for which I am more of a fan. I am so excited, and they're playing up in West Palm Beach. I live in a suburb of Fort Lauderdale, about an hour away. Very excited to see my two favorite bands. Oh, well, Rage Against the Machine breaks up, and the Beastie Boys don't do the show. Cool. That tour's canceled. I wait oh so many years for Rage Against the Machine to finally get back together. Finally realizing that there's a lot of fans and a lot of money in it. If they all just get together and play uh, play the hits, boys, it's only two albums worth. Just learn the you know, 20 songs you know, plus the cover album, and uh, get on out there, play a set. It'll be all killer, no filler. They were touring with Run the Jewels. Another rap band that I, as an older man, very much enjoy. So I get tickets. Oracle Arena. Maybe it was O.co then. Anyway, the arena in Oakland, because I live there. I am very excited. In fact, one of the last nights I had out was at the Yama Show uh, karaoke bar in San Francisco where I did nothing but sing only Rage Against the Machine songs. Because I was so excited that we were coming up on Rage Against the Machine performing. And then guess what? A bat kisses a pangolin in Wuhan, China. Whole world shut down. Two years later, two years later, there is a rescheduling. And it feels like divine providence. Divine Providence, because I've since moved from the Bay Area. But it is on March 5th, 2023. Oh, 40 years since your boy was born at a hospital in Fort Worth, Texas, that I could see the concert that I've been waiting to see nigh my entire adult life. When it is revealed by Zach Delaroca, the lead singer of Rage Against the Machine, that he's got a huge ACL tear and is canceling the entire North American tour. <sighs> anyway, somebody emailed me that. If you want to email me things that aren't heartbreaking, then you can do so. The Young American at gmail.com. The show's Twitter is PX3 tweets. See me live on the internet. On Twitch, PX3 Live, and share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. A reminder that this show operates in almost totality from your support. If you want to make a one-time donation, you can do so. PayPal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash, and you can send me anything that you would like in the mail. P.O. Box 153184. Austin, Texas, 78715, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. We got hats. We got more hats. Some of them are really, really, really funny. Uh, I got one that was uh, end, E-N-D, in the CNN font. I got one that is a inside joke for the Great Night program, pointing out that I won our fantasy movie draft. Or so I, I came in fifth place in our fantasy movie draft in 2018. 
And then one that is maybe my favorite hat that we've got so far. It is a picture of a hat on a hat. It's a literal hat on a hat. Google it if you don't know why it's funny. But it's it's a comedy term. It's very funny. Of course, you can only get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Including Andres, Matt on safety B levels, Amanda, Yale Pinball Shop, DP4 Bongo, Catherine, Todd, persons familiar with the matter, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arslandian, Blue Front, and the Lenina DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana's turn to Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief, Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome, Brad, Richard, D. Laser, just another pilot, Middle Age Mike, who loves Frank Got Abducted, Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen, A, L, D, L, D, L, D, really, Chopper, Andrew and Joshua, if you would like your name read on this program, then please head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. On the next uh, Friday edition of this program, we're going to take a look at the politics of hurricanes. The bizarre way that Floridians look at them, the bizarre way that they process the government's responsibility for them, and in a state that's fairly famous for its chaos, how efficient Florida is at dealing with nature's wrath. All that coming up. But one more reminder... That some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this is the only show that dares discuss all three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.